The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for the first half hour is Charles Nenner. He is the president of the Charles Nenner Research Center, uh, which is kind of a technical analysis and market advisory group. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Charles. Very nice to be there, but uh, I wouldn't call it technical analysis. What would you call it? Analysis, I don't know why it's called technical. Uh, Anything that you visualize, they call technical, but it's not technical. Okay, very good. So let's just start with a little bit of your background for people who have not heard about you before and and how you created the Charles Nenner Research Center, and just give a little bit of your background to start off. Okay, I studied medicine, so I'm a medical doctor, and um, uh, participated in uh, research worldwide about uh, how many people became psychotic and they become psychotic at the same time, and we found uh, a cycle that was interesting. Every so many months, people became psychotic. If it was in Los Angeles or Moscow, it didn't make a difference. And I started building, at that time, neural networks and tried to apply it to other markets, uh, including the financial market, and um, have been doing that for many years, 15 years for Goldman Sachs, did the research for the proprietary traders, that means the people who invest the money for Goldman Sachs themselves. And when I retired, I started my own firm that is already uh, for another 15 years. So uh, we're a long time in the business. And actually, it's built on the fact that uh, uh, we predict the future, which seems a bit strange, but... uh, the idea is that markets don't move at random. When a stock takes off, when index takes off, you know how high it goes and how long it goes up. And so what are so these that cycles... Makes, that makes investing easy. What are these cycles based on? I mean, there are, in, in history, there's been the Fibonacci cycles. We've had Elliott waves. There's all kinds of people who say they can predict the future based on cycles in nature. What, what are these cycles based on that you are predicting? Well, Elliott Wave does use inversions, which is not very helpful. Elliott Wave says, if I go uh, down into Fibonacci number in a cycle, then uh, if I go from up to down into a low, then it turns up. And if it's the other way around, it turns down. So you never know up to a couple of days before which direction the cycle is going to turn. Now, if you invest a lot of money like we did with uh, Goldman Sachs, you cannot wait a couple of days before because you have to like in weeks before. So you have to know if it's a bottom or a top. Uh, if you really study it and you build the right computer programs, then you see it's very regular and you can predict up to the exact day if something is going up or it's going down. And so what is that based on? Algorithms? I mean, what is behind those cycles? Uh, did you ever hear about the four-year cycle? Typically, I think of it in presidential terms. Well, let's say that's, that's what I meant, or let's say the presidential cycle. So do you, you know there's a presidential cycle? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yep. you have the answer. So you know one cycle. 
Now, if you would have very good uh, neural networks and computer programs, you could find much more cycles. Which is what you have. Right. So how do people use the, the output of what you're advising? Um, you have a newsletter or website? Yes, or tele- we, come, we, come out, we come out four days uh, a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, practically, I will give you an example. In 2006, when the Dow was 10,000, I was uh, on CBC, and they asked me what is going to happen. It says we're going up to the 27th of December 2007, so that's one and a, one and a half year later. And we're going to 14,300. So we went from 10,000 to 14,300. And if you look on my website, charlesnander.com, you see you go to the uh, TV show, the 27th December uh, 2007, you see we're exactly at 14,300. So that's how you use it. You know which day you're going to be there and you know what level you're looking for. What has been the accuracy rate of the predictions? Uh, now you have to, this is interesting, uh, not that I want to go around the question, now you have to say when something is true or not. If I miss it by one day, is it still correct, or what, if I miss it by quarter? I would say yes, it's correct. Okay, I will keep it in the 100%. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So uh, people can go to your website. Is there a newsletter they, they can subscribe to, or what, how they do they can, get these? They, these, they uh, can ask for the, the newsletter. They get it for a while for free because it really proves itself. So they, they get it for free, and I just have to watch. If what we say is correct, we do it for bonds, for currencies, for overseas markets. So they get a lot of markets with the exact dates and the exact levels, uh, sometimes stocks, and they just have to check if uh, what we say is correct or not. And that's at charlesnenner.research.com. What is the website they go to for that? Yeah, charlesnenner.com. We just ask for a free subscription. Great. And after it's not free anymore, how much might it be? Well, that, that, that I don't deal with. That's the market that people deal with. It's a difference if you're a Merrill Lynch or a Goldman Sachs or you're a, a big investor or a hedge fund or you're a small investor. Uh, we'll talk to you because, uh, of course, a small investor doesn't pay as much as a Goldman Sachs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it was true that this is working as 100% basically, and everybody followed your advice, would yes. it affect the markets at all? I mean, if you're, if you're that accurate, it seems like everybody should just do exactly what you tell them, and they would always win. Well, there is something to it. I think it's a law of nature, and the law of nature says that a lot of people will not believe in it. Uh-huh. Um, so it will not happen. Once it will happen, we'll see how it goes. But you've been doing this for 15 years. So it yeah, almost have 30 years. 30 years, you're right. But it should have many people following it and doing very, very well. So let's kind of get a sense of where things stand uh, now. Uh, and let's start, I guess, with the stock market, and particularly you know, big stocks, Dow stocks, S&P versus smaller NASDAQ kind of stocks. What are, what are you seeing uh, in those today? Well, we went in then in March '09. We went long, and we said the cycle was good until mid-June. So we're getting close to a cycle high, so we are selling our stocks over here. Uh, what do we want to do with it? Uh, we have a cycle low finally in July for gold. So we're, uh, we're uh, slowly, slowly when a cycle bottoms, we're going to put some money in gold. I see. Uh, we still have some money in bonds, but uh, uh, by the end of the year, I expect a real bear market to start in, uh, in bonds, so that's not a place to be. So, so bonds have had an enormous uh, rally lately. Uh, so you're saying that it's, it's too late to get into them at this point? Uh, I expect the GDP to see one GDP of 3%, which will not be too great for the bonds. 
and uh, after that, uh, all kinds of uh, uh, situations why bonds will uh, will go down instead of up. Uh, that doesn't always have to do with the economy. Look what happened in Italy, in France, in Greece. The economy was very weak, but the uh, interest rates went sky high. Yeah. It has to do with the balance of payments. So that's not the place to be. And my biggest fear still is that we will see deflation. Now, mm-hmm. once you see deflation, there's almost nowhere to hide. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a very difficult situation till 2020 to try to save your money. I don't, you see, I don't even say to make money, to save your money. Because, uh, it, well, let's say what happens if deflation does, in fact, break out? Is it something that the central banks can stop? No, no. I, you know, you talk to somebody who believes in cycles. That means it's whatever happens has no influence. So we don't believe in that the central banks can stop anything. Or, well, I mean, they've stimulated the economy dramatically the last five years or so with all the quantitative easing and so on. You don't think that's had any effect? Uh, let me give you one more example. It, it, it's very simple. You go to my website and you look at what happened in 2006 on CBC. The Fed funds were 6.5%, and I said they're going to 0% by the middle of 2009. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, that's pretty extreme, right? Because I didn't know what the banks would do. Yes. So by that, I proved that whatever the banks do doesn't make any difference. I just wish that people would, would, would for once, think out of the box and not listen to everybody that thinks they has a theory and to just throw away all that rubbish. It has nothing to do with anything. So the interest rate cycle is down, but you're, you're saying it could, it could, if you're worried about deflation, you're yes. saying interest rates could go even further down if we're at, or, or, or at zero. Well, like we said, if you see what happened in Europe, they had a big problem because Europe is almost in deflation. Yes. And Greece was in deflation, and interest rates are going up because everybody is then very frightened to give out loans and says, well, I can give you a loan, but you have to give me high interest rates. Now, lately, those interest rates have come down dramatically in Greece and Spain, Italy, and those kind of countries. It, it peaked, but it's come down dramatically. Does that mean it's deflation, or are there better credit risks? No, that's just a cycle. What it is, you could be totally correct, but I'm not sure. And I don't intend to be a better expert than other people in fundamental analysis. Mm-hmm. And what we actually do is we, we deal with what happens and when it happens. And why it happens, I leave out to the other uh, uh, great uh, explanations in, in all the media. So you're letting the market speak to you is what you're saying. Instead of understanding why, you're just seeing what's happening. Right. I don't know why, and I, I can work with that, so I don't know why. It's difficult. A lot of people, uh, I guess it's because I'm a medical doctor. If they told you give the guy the red pill, even if you don't know how it works, you give him the red pill because it makes him better. <laughs> I guess it works. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to know how it works to some extent. Exactly. Uh-huh. So has the market ever spoken to you um, and, and given you the wrong signal? I mean, it's like, it makes, looks like it's going one direction and then it goes the other direction? No, no, because they also have monthly and quarterly cycles, and they never change. A weekly cycle can be off a couple of days, but not a monthly or a quarterly cycle. Uh-huh. It gives one great confidence, I guess, if you've been through these you know, for many, many years, and it always works out well. It takes away all of the, the drama in the stock market all the time. Right. People are... It takes away all the emotions. And the interesting thing is some people uh, seem to be more interested in the emotions than in making money. <laughs> Uh-huh. So would the easiest way to play your signals be with indexes, where you're not trying to pick individual stocks? 
I also I also pick individual stocks. What happens is if we have a big client, let's say uh, uh, hedge funds, that says I want to know what is with IBM, so we build a cycle for IBM, and then I publish it for everybody. So wow. I get ideas from the big clients which stocks they're interested in, but if they're interested, it doesn't mean it goes up immediately. Sometimes they have to wait four or five months. So I help them build a cycle so they don't wait for four or five months. They just invest only just before the cycle bottoms. But for most people uh, who aren't doing individual stocks, they should do indexes is the way to do it? That's, you, you get less surprised. With an, with an individual stock, you can always get surprised. Yes, Always something can happen. Do you have to understand that if I say things don't move at random, it means it's because a lot of people are involved and free choice is filtered out. Now, if you have a stock, you already have less people involved, so there's more free choice. And the smaller the stock, the more free choice there is. And, and therefore, the more surprises and volatility tends to happen. Right, right. Yeah, very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this half hour is Charles Netter. His website is charlesnetter.com. Some very interesting research, and we'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. If you want to know about investing in emerging and frontier markets, or if you have experience in this field but still need to know more, tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham. Gavin explores news, current trends, and insights about both categories of investing. His guest experts, along with his own knowledge, will help you stay above the line when it comes to growth potential, whether in funds or equities. He will look at what to invest in and avoid. Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m. 10 Central every Sunday. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to I the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Charles Nenner, uh, the head of the Charles Nenner Research Institute, and you can find out more about him at charlesnenner.com. Welcome back to the show, Charles. I have a question for you. Sure. We just talked about gold and inflation. Do you yeah. know how many bull markets there were in gold during deflations and how many during inflation? You tell me. No, so, you know, what I mean is there's so much knowledge around and we all have these, these, these preconceptions of ideas, and they're not always correct. We just have to study it. So more bull market and the gold were there when there was deflation and inflation. So that's certainly not the common view. The common view is that it's a hedge against inflation. Well, the common view is because people only remember what happened in the lifetime. They don't know what happened 1,000 years ago, 800 years ago, 600 years ago, 500 years ago. Yeah. 
Uh, so, but you wouldn't have an answer as to why gold goes up during deflation. Uh, it just uh, oh yes, of course I have. And, and because because, because what be? goes up what goes up during deflation? Well, your housing prices don't go up, your stocks don't go up, your bonds are in trouble. So where you put your money in gold? Because the system is going under. So at least you buy gold. Ah, uh-huh, so it's a, a safety haven, basically. Right, right. right. So is that the major trend you see happening right now as we're heading towards deflation and yes. gold would be going up and all the other areas would be going down? Yeah, because if you look at Europe, they had an inflation number of 0.4 only and they're looking for 2.5. And if they have one more bad number, they're already below zero. So they're trying to talk the euro down, but they don't really get it done. And if they don't get it done, they're going to end up in deflation. Yeah. Um, and you're saying once deflation starts, it's hard to unwind it, really. I mean, for example, Japan. Japan's pretty much had deflation for the last two, century, two, two decades or so. And, yeah. and they haven't really been able to get out of it, is what you're saying. Well, let's be honest. If you have to buy something new, an expensive item, and you know next week is going to be cheaper, you're going to wait with, with, with purchasing it. So, so that's why the whole, uh, whole market will go down, because people will just wait till it's cheaper next week. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's not a, a rush to buy when things are going to be falling. Right. Yes, although I would think bonds would do well in deflation, particularly high quality treasuries and things like that. Wouldn't that well, be a, a, a winner in deflation? The three parts over here. Usually, what people have is uh, real estate, uh, bonds, and stocks. And when th- things go down, they first sell their stocks, and they like to look at the real estate. Oh. I some stones. So the next thing is bonds. So what if they need money? They have to sell the bonds because they sold the stocks already. So it's sometimes a, a, a matter of financial markets, not so much of e- e- economics. So how about uh, uh, cash? How about money market funds? They might not earn anything, but the capital would be safe without That's what I mean. That for the next till 2020, what you're trying to do is to try to uh, to uh, put your capital safe. So cash would, would play a bigger role? Cash and gold would be your two biggest holdings then? I guess so, yes. Mm-hmm. And within cash, is there something you like? Would you stay with treasury bills only or money market funds, or what would you do in, in cash? Well, I don't think it's going to make so much difference how much you get in each. You probably don't get anything for in, in both of them. Yeah. And then the bills are still a little bit more safe. Mm-hmm. And then how about commodities beyond gold? Uh, grains and the other metals and, and uh, other kinds of commodities. How would those do in, in what you're seeing coming up? Well, the commodities are in a major bear market. The grains have something interesting, the, uh, especially the corn. We're waiting to go uh, take a, a long position in corn in a couple of weeks because there's a cycle low. Now, again, don't ask me why. I'm not a farmer. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely has a cycle low, and then it goes up for a while. So we're going to buy corn uh, when the cycle bottoms in a couple of weeks. And how about some of the other things, copper and some of the other things that are not precious metals, but uh, no, industrial metals? No, copper continues in the bear market. So most, most commodities continue in a bear market. Also, crude oil will go back into a bear market. And that's, again, because of deflation? Yes. So there's just less demand for these things? Yes, correct. Yeah, so basically you're saying that places like China and India that have been growing pretty fast are going to slow down. Correct, correct. Because if the rest of the world slows down, they don't, they, they're not ready yet with the development of an internal market, so they still have to export it. And uh, that's going to be difficult in a bad economic environment. 
Yeah. So what, what would the impact of this be on uh, kind of politics? If, if you have a deflationary environment, what does that do to the you know, European Union and the American economy? And kind of what is the impact of deflation on the kind of political situation? Well, I'm afraid that they're going to make a lot of mistakes because, like you say, the, uh, the overall uh, idea is that gold is uh, in inflation situation because people remember that, and very few people remember or, or really learned what happens in deflation, and I'm afraid that the Fed and other central banks are going to make big mistakes in the deflationary period, which then will, will lead to hyperinflation because of the mistakes they're going to make. By printing a lot of money, or what mistakes will they be making? To tell you honestly, I don't think I'm good enough to give you that answer. <laughs> Not clever enough. Well, uh, let's, so, let's look so at the last mistakes time. They can make. Let, let's look at the last time we had major deflation, which was the, the, you know, 1929 and the Depression. At that time, yeah. you're saying that the Fed made the wrong move by by tightening at that point. Well, Supposedly, they weren't confiscating gold. Look what happened in Greece now. For the first time in a century, they just confiscated money from people that had their money in an account. Now, what do you think what happens if the United States says, you know what, we'll take from everybody 20% uh, away uh, from his bank account? You know, anything can happen. Uh-huh. Did that happen in Greece or Cyprus? Oh, sorry, Cyprus, you're right. Yeah, but you think that's a, a precursor of what is to come? What? That is a precursor of other similar... Well, the point is, they crossed the line over there. It has been done, so once it has been done, it can be done again. Mm -hmm. So you have no idea what people can come up with, what governments can come up with. So how should investors protect themselves against that? That's a good question, because I don't know what the policy is going to be. I mean, you can buy gold, and then suddenly they can have an extra tax on gold. That's no idea. But you're saying owning physical gold is beyond the government's reach. Well, if they say that you have to declare it and then they put a special tax on it, then uh, it's not beyond their reach. Yeah. Well, I guess what they did in the 30s when they confiscated gold. Yeah. So what I said is there's so many wrong things they can do that I couldn't even come up with, uh, with an idea what can go wrong. <laughs> so let's make you um, king of the world, okay, and you have complete powers to make things better. I'm going to give you control of all the governments and all the central banks of the world. How would you handle the current situation to avoid a deflationary situation? Well, you can't. I will tell you, I, I have what I call a super cycle, uh, which is 250 years old. And the problems we have here are 250 years old. And uh, there's simply no solution. Uh, you try to inflate yourself out of the out of the uh, the debt and the system and keep it going, but in the end, there's no purchasing power anymore among the people. I always compare it. So, what does it help you? Well, if if you know there's a cycle and there's a summer and there's a winter, you can change it. The only thing you can do is you can buy a winter coat. Uh-huh. So instead, instead of listening to people say it's going to be okay, maybe you should buy that winter coat. And so your winter coat in this case is gold. Yeah, there's just excesses that have to be taken care of, and it's going to take a while. So what was the last cycle 250 years ago that was a deflationary? That was before America was a country, pretty much. Is that where there was a major deflationary low then? No, in the, in the, in the 19th century there was also deflation. There were also deflationary gold um, bull markets. 
Yeah. And most most of the last thousand years, the economy has been deflationary instead of inflationary. Mm-hmm. The deflation is the norm. Hmm. That's certainly not the impression that most people would have. No, but it depends if they open a book or not. Yes. <laughs> so, um, in deflation, uh, who are the winners and losers in deflation? I would say everybody is a loser. The, the only winners are the people who are sitting in cash and can buy uh, from paintings to Stradivarius to whatever that people have to sell because they need money. Oh. Uh-huh. Selling hard assets, picking up hard assets at cheap prices. Yeah, and you're the only one who has the cash. Oh, uh, so right now people feel terrible with cash because they're earning nothing on it, and they're doing right. everything they can to to buy high yields somehow. You think that's a mistake? And, and it's a big problem because anybody that I speak to accepts that the ten-year bond in 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 two three years will be will be at least four percent. Yes. And uh, inflation will be at least I don't know a couple of percentages. So, so you're gonna for sure you're gonna be a big loser. So you're saying that what what's been happening in the bond market lately, with interest rates falling, with the ten year down to about two point four percent or so, is a sign of deflation to come. Uh, yeah, correct. We have we have if you want to you, uh, if you subscribe for the free uh, free newsletter we have. Uh, 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 long-term interest rates going back 500 years with a perfect cycle of 60, 60 years, actually a cumulative cycle. And you can see for yourself how it develops. And in 500 years, it never missed it, so we just assume that it won't miss it this time also. So how low might long-term interest rates, which are now about 2.4%, go? <coughs> that's a, that's, I don't sit with my computer, so I can't get you, but I, that what I remember is that not much lower. Uh-huh. So, well, if, if we really have outright deflation, why wouldn't it go much lower than it is today? Well, because a lot of things are preemptive. I mean, a lot of big investors know more or less what's going on and uh, already took positions. Like uh, last year, the market uh, did a lot of upside, the stock market, based on, on, on values and based on uh, what uh, kind of profits they thought they were going to make. Now, the only thing we hope is that we have a price earnings at expense. So you shouldn't look at the news of today. If you know what the, the news of next year is, then you can invest. Mm-hmm. So it might be already be in a price. I see. What do you th- would be the effect of deflation on emerging markets particularly? Well, I think it's even worse because they all have to deal with commodities. And commodities is not then going to be our favorite uh, place to be. So they're going to be already now. You know, they like look at Argentina, what's going on. Brazil doesn't do so well. Uh, a lot of those countries are not what they, what they used to be, mm-hmm. mostly based on a bad commodity market. And, and they've taken on a lot of debt to grow as well. Right, right. So if, would you short these markets? Uh, once I cycle tops, yes. Uh-huh. But we haven't hit the top yet. Well, we could have hit the top, but it could be that it's going to hang around the top for another three months, and you don't want to get emotional and wait and wait and wait. So uh, we don't want to go short and then hang around for three months. We only want to short when a cycle tops. So like I said, for the moment, we're looking for the middle of June for a cycle high in most markets. So cycle high in most markets and then a cycle low in gold is what you're saying. Correct. Very good. Well, this has really been fascinating. Uh, my guest this half hour has been Charles Nenner. He's the president of Charles Nenner uh, Research Center. 
His website is charlesnenner.com. And thanks so much for a very provocative idea, and we'll see how it all works out. I guess we've got history working for us, and you figured it out to make it easy for people. So I appreciate you being on the show very much, Charles. You're welcome. We'll talk again. Very good. Thanks again. And we'll be back after this with Sean Hyman, which will be our next guest. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Sean Hyman. Uh, he is the editor at the Ultimate Wealth Report, and also he has a newsletter called Absolute Profits. Welcome back to the show, Sean. Hey, good to be with you. Just tell us a little bit about uh, Ultimate Wealth Report and Absolute Profits and kind of the difference between the two and uh, what people should expect when they get those newsletters. Yeah, Absolute Profits is uh, a swing trading uh, service to where we uh, we invest in stocks over uh, typically a 6- to 12-month period based off of seasonal cycles that come about by the business and economic cycle. And uh, Ultimate Wealth Report is a, a true investing service where we're in positions 12 to 18 months, takes advantage of the rise of inflation and the and dollar devaluation. And so they get uh, recommendations, uh, you know, each month through the Ultimate Wealth Report and weekly videos to go along with that as well. So let's kind of get a look at the overall economic situation in the world. Um, Europe is saying that they're worried about deflation. Uh, the European Central Bank may be doing something at quantitative easing. The central bank here has been uh, inflating the money supply for a long time. Is inflation or deflation the bigger worry right now? Well, I mean, in my opinion, here in the U.S., it's it's inflation, uh, and I think that you know Europe will uh, you know do whatever it takes to solve their you know potential deflation problem as well. Central banks are very scared of uh, deflation, and they'll do almost anything to prevent it, and they're very comfortable with inflation. And and here in the U.S., really, once we got a handle on how to create inflation, as far as from a central banking standpoint, we we've almost not hardly had any sustainable patches of deflation since the 1950s, 
And so uh, they're very comfortable with trying to really increase inflation in at least a 2 to 3% rate per year on their official numbers the way they calculate it, which is usually 4 to 6% in real life. Because they're saying that they're still too low, that they're looking for a 2% at least inflation rate, and the numbers they're seeing are, are below that. Although it seems to be in real life, as you say, food is going up dramatically, uh, gasoline is going up, healthcare costs, taxes, uh, university tuitions, all kinds of things are going up way more than 2%. So w- what is this 2% <laughs> number that they're coming up with that doesn't seem to be connected to real life? Well, I mean, you know, one, the, 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 equ- the equations keep getting uh, changed. You know, we don't use the same equation now that as we used in the 80s, uh, so they change up that. They, they, you know, take out certain things. They add in certain things. So food and energy are taken out, and that's two of the most vital things that the average consumer uh, uses. And so, uh, so you know, real-world inflation has gone up dramatically, but it, it, there is no political will to print a number that says inflation is uh, rising at a fast clip and getting out of control or anything of that sort, that's not going to help get you back in office. In certain countries, inflation has already started pretty dramatically, I guess in Argentina and, and some other places as well, and that does create a political, Iran is another place that comes to mind. Um, so is that kind of a precursor of what we're going to see in the United States? Um, it could. I mean, right, you know, in, in some of the emerging markets, of course, it has a, a, a bigger effect just because uh, the average population is, is not quite as well off, of course, as the U.S., and there's less expendable money. So the least little bit of rise in, in, in energy inflation or food inflation makes even a bigger difference than what we feel here in the U.S., and it's big enough of what we hear in the U.S., so I'm not watering that down by any stretch. But that's why, for instance, when food prices rose last time, you could only buy a bag of rice at cost. But yet over in the Middle East, you're having, you know, riots and overthrows of dictators. And so, yeah, we do feel it, and we're going to feel it more so. And eventually, I think there will come a time even where we have riots in the streets because of how, uh, how bad inflation gets. But that day's not quite here, although I started recently writing about it, because I do think in the coming years that could happen. So as an investor, uh, what are some of the better places? Let's take them into different categories. You certainly like uh, metals and mining in various ways. What would be some ways to play what you see is the rise in inflation in metals and mining. Yeah, I think, you know, with, with global growth happening and, and, and uh, you know, uh, that really, the, one of the best ways to play the global growth picture, in my opinion, is through uh, a copper stock like Freeport McMoran. Um, that's an easy way to play that. I think that uh, to go to some of the most hated areas of the market is also another wise thing to do, uh, such as gold miners. I mean, nobody likes gold, and they hate even gold miners even more so. And uh, the sentiment is just atrocious. And when the sentiment gets atrocious, that's usually when you find miscalculations and misjudgments and therefore value. And so I think that that's a great place to be. Uh, it, sticking with some of the biggest names out there, maybe like a Barrick Gold or Newmont Mining, don't, don't go with some small junior miner and, and try to make a pick on a turnaround in the industry, though. They've been talking about merging, potentially, those two, right? Would that they, be a, a good thing for shareholders? Well, you know, they, they have talked about it a time or two, and, you know, I'm probably not a pro on whether the, you know, all the costs and how it would settle in as far as what it would do for shareholders, but I do know that they, they have felt the crunch in this last uh, slowdown, and it's really made them take a little bit more seriously the thought of particularly merging. But it does show you that if times got tough enough, they could merge together and form the biggest you know, powerhouse out there and swallow up a lot of the competition and still stay afloat. So that's another reason why I say go with some of the biggest ones out there. What is your outlook for the gold price at this point? 
Well, I believe gold is uh, near term probably going to take a little bit more heat. It could go from the you know twelve forties down to twelve hundred or so even. Uh, but but you know more longer term, I see it going up and its next major move being upward. I think that we'll see it go fifteen to sixteen hundred. You know over the you know next six to nine months. But uh, after that, I think we ultimately see it go back up to nineteen hundred plus. And that's because of inflationary worries. Well, it's because of inflation. It's because of uh, our dollar keeps getting devalued. Yes, it's gotten a little bump up here recently, but it seems it was uh, not widely reported in the media when the U.S. dollar index hit a 52-week low just you know a month or so ago. So our dollar is still depreciating overall, even though it has its bear market bounces here and there. And our debts are just out of control. And so it's, it's, it's continuing to make foreigners invest less and less in the U.S. and our treasuries as seen in, in the tick flows, which, which track that. And so all these really uh, are building a case for gold. Mm-hmm. So I mean, on the U.S. debt side, uh, I mean, some would say the U.S. is more attractive because of what's going on around the world, all the turmoil with Russia and Ukraine and mm-hmm. Turkey and Egypt and Syria and Argentina and so on. We look a lot better, and that's why the U.S. Uh, interest rates have been falling, uh, attracting capital from around the world. Is that not the, the case you're seeing? Well, the, the, uh, that was the case for uh, the previous two to three years, I would say. I don't, I don't believe that's the case now. I think some of these uh, areas of the world, like Russia and China, are actually some of the most favorable places to invest right now, and a lot of the turmoil has brought about a lot of undervaluation in a lot of their stocks and their stock market, and so I think that's helped a whole lot. Um, you know, the, the stocks that are starting to get overly priced right now are, by and large, U.S. stocks. I would not want to be investing in the S&P 500 right now uh, through an index fund and say, my 401k, uh, because you know the, the downside risks are huge relative to the upside reward. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about those overseas a little bit. How would you invest in Russia, which would be very, very contrarian right now? The stocks are incredibly cheap because people think it's about the worst place in the world to be investing right now. Yep, and that's exactly why you'd want to go there. Uh, you know, the, the, like for instance, if you look at one of the best ways to play it, uh, which is the Russian ETF RSX, uh, it's got a PE of about five right now. Whereas here in the U.S., we're up to about 18s to 19s. So what that means is we're paying far more for the earnings of companies uh, here in the U.S. than they are in Russia. And yet, people are still going to use these oil companies, these telecommunication companies, etc., whether there's turmoil or, or, or not. And so, the, uh, an ETF like that gets you broad exposure and it plays with some of the biggest companies there and so that's the way I would play uh, Russia or something like FXI if you're talking about investing in China uh, yes also you have some other Chinese like um, uh, mobile companies and what are some other companies you like in China yeah, uh, China Mobile uh, is one that I like. I mean, it's again, it's it's very cash rich. It's got some of the deepest pockets of you know any company in the world. So it's kind of like an Apple in that sense. Uh, even though size wise, it's 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 bigger than you know AT and T or Verizon. Um, and so they they're switching from 3G to 4G networks. They're starting to add in the Apple iPhone to the mix. There's a lot of things happening there. So I'm I'm bullish on China Mobile. Um, and so that's just you know one more area that I like in China. Mm-hmm. And then even some of the other emerging markets, uh, I think you like uh, Turkey, and uh, what, what are some other ways to play those? 
Yeah, I like Turkey and I like Indonesia. Again, these are just pockets of the emerging markets that I think that uh, that look well favorably, that their stock market is starting to uh, turn around. So I like it when the sentiment is bad, but yet the stocks continue, they don't continue their downward descent. They, they, they start to perk up and lift even though the sentiment is bad. And that's, that's what I'm seeing is a rebound in Turkey, a rebound in Indonesia. And the easiest way to play Turkey uh, is through the ETF TUR. And uh, Indonesia through an ETF that I like called EIDO. And so those, again, just go broadly because it's, in my opinion, most people don't want to go in and try to pick an individual stock in these markets. I think they're much safer to go in with a more of a shotgun diversified effect and going in with an ETF. Another area you like, which is very contrarian, is coal. Um, what, what are some plays that you like in coal? Yeah, I like Peabody Energy BTU. Again, it's you know it's one of the bigger uh, players in the in the market. So again, anytime you're going with very negative sentiment and a very contrarian play, I think it's best to start with some of the biggest guys out there, and they they are in that one of the biggest in that space. Um, in the U.S., where we you know where you are using some you know less coal, we're using more natural gas. But in Europe, they're actually using more coal. In Japan, they're using more coal, and uh, in China and in India, they're using more coal. So so the global coal consumption is actually quite high, and it's very much offsetting the reduction that we're having here in the U.S., but here in the U.S., we're writing it off like the whole world is doing what we're doing, and that's simply not the case. Yeah, certainly the sentiment with all the Obama administration's uh, constrictions on coal, closing down coal plants, increasing regulations, it's not a good future for coal in the U.S., but you're saying that that's being outweighed by the use around the world. It is, and also another thing that is helping coal, of course, is natural gas prices are back on the rise, and so, you know, there for a while the natural gas had dipped into the ones, and and lately it's been uh, in the fours. It has been as high as in the sixes, and I believe it'll be back up there again. So the higher natural gas uh, gets as well, the more uh, plants may want to shift to an alternative, because there's a lot of plants here in the U.S. that are actually starting to get set up to where they can use coal or natural gas, whichever happens to be cheaper. Oh, they have different environmental outtake. I mean, if they have environmental restrictions, how could they use coal if they can't, you know, do that, even if the price is better? Well, they're still going to be able to, to do it. You know, keep in mind the Obama administration said, hey, we want to reduce, you know, emissions 30% from 2005 levels. Well, they've already reduced them 15%, and so really all they got to do is knock off another 15%, and they don't have to get that complied with, you know, tomorrow. They'll still have some time on that as well. So, so it, it sounds good politically, but really these, these, you know, these smart, big, huge coal companies are still going to be just fine. Another area you like is agriculture. Why do you like agriculture as a place to invest? Yeah, I like agriculture because I'm seeing food prices rise. They had declined for years and years and years. And now, uh, you know, soybeans and wheat and uh, cotton and all kinds of things are starting to, uh, to rise once again. And so it's a great way to play food inflation. And I like to go in that very broadly as well because it's, it's easier to you know, to say what the group is going to do than what any one commodity will do. And so uh, when it comes to food commodities and agriculture, and so uh, we're in DBA there. And so that's, that's the way I like to uh, broadly disperse it there. So they own actual uh, shares in uh, the various grains and metals, right? Or just the grains in the agriculture one. Is that right? Yeah, they, they track a lot of different... Uh, food and agricultural commodities. So it's just more of a, a shotgun approach, a way to, to tackle food inflation. So that's called the Power Shares Agriculture Fund, the DBA. Yes. 
Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this, hour, this half hour is Sean Hyman, uh, who is the editor of The Ultimate Wealth Report and Absolute Profits. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Houston Real Estate Radio with Shannon Register. Tuesdays at 10 Eastern, 1 Pacific on Voice America's Variety Channel. As we have transitioned into a healthier housing market, supply has not been able to keep up with demand. Appraisals have struggled to keep up with rising prices, and lenders have overcorrected their loose lending practices. We track all this and more so you don't have to. HoustonRealEstateRadio.com Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this half hour is Sean Hyman. He is the editor of The Ultimate Wealth Report and also a newsletter called Absolute Profits. Welcome back to the show, Sean. Hey, good to be with you. So you do a weekly commentary, and one of your weekly commentaries was about the so-called uh, FATCA law, which is the Foreign, Act, Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act of 2010, mm-hmm. which is about to kick in July 1st. Just briefly describe what that is and what impact that may have on the markets. Yeah, I wrote about that at moneynews.com, and, and that's, uh, it's, it's called the Foreign Account Tax Compliance Act of 2010, so that's where FATCA comes in, F-A-T-C-A. And it's also known as H.R. 2847, so you may hear it under either name. But this is something that goes into effect uh, July 1st, and as part of that, um, it makes it to where uh, in U.S. Uh, U.S. citizens that hold assets abroad uh, are going to start to have to do more diligent reporting on their assets abroad. And also now these foreign entities, uh, banks, brokerages, insurance companies, et cetera, um, overseas are going to have to do extensive reporting back to the IRS on what those individuals uh, own as well. They'll have to do annual reports and, and, and quite a bit of other red tape. And so what that's basically causing, in my opinion, is what will make a lot of foreign companies say, hey, we don't want to mess with you Americans because there's too much red tape now. We'll focus on Europe or some other areas of the world, you know, emerging Asia or something like that, uh, where things are more favorable, and it will just make it harder for uh, for 
you know, Americans to, to hold assets overseas in some of these particular places. But what it's not going to do is make the dollar totally unravel and, you know, not be the world's reserve currency on July 2nd because this went in on July the 1st or things of that sort. And that, that's what some of the stuff's been floating out there is that the dollar's demise will happen on July the 1st and all this sort of thing. And that's not, that's not really true. The dollar's demise will continue, but that's going to be uh, something that happens over time and not, not a day event. So is this a law to avoid people hiding assets in Swiss banks to avoid taxes? Is that basically the purpose behind this? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. The, the the biggest purpose is that you know, of course, the U.S. government's deeply in debt and needs to look for every penny they can find under the couch cushion. And so, um, you know, now it's more important than ever that they rein things in. And so, it's not illegal for you to hold assets overseas, but if you are trying to hide something and, and avoid paying taxation off of it, then of course that's where it becomes an issue. And so, that is what it's trying to do: is it's trying to rein all that in so that they can truly take in the amount of tax dollars that they're supposed to actually be taking in. This doesn't discourage foreign investors from investing in the U.S. particularly. It's, it's really aimed at U.S. investors of investing overseas. Is that right? For the, for the most part. Um, the, the problem is while the U.S. can put so much heat on a lot of these foreigners and make them comply, though, is because they do have uh, some of their branches here in the U.S. And so you know, if you're a Swiss bank or a Swiss entity and you have uh, branches here in the U.S. or do a lot of business in the U.S., they, the, the U.S. government now has a lot of uh, control over you because they can basically make it to where you've either got to comply or you've got to get rid of all your U.S.-based business. And so that's what makes it tougher on the on the foreigners. So will this uh, erode the dollar? I mean, not as you say, on one day, but a long-term uh, negative for the dollar? It, I mean, it is a long-term negative for the dollar, of course, but, but our, our debt is even a bigger picture. That's the, the, you know, the bigger uh, negative for the dollar because the, the higher our debts go up, $17 trillion, $18 trillion, et cetera, the more likely it is that we can't even pay the interest on our uh, securities that foreigners want to hold. And so they realize this. And so even now, China and many of these other central banks are, are buying euros instead of dollars. They're buying Aussie dollars, Canadian dollars. They're buying more gold and silver. They're diversifying more away from dollars when they used to almost – not exclusively, but very heavily weigh uh, in, in dollars in their portfolios. What is the outlook for the U.S. debt? I mean, uh, Obama would say uh, the deficit is now $500 billion instead of $1.3 trillion, and the deficit has been cut in half, and, and sequestration, all that has made a big difference, and we're adding debt, but at a much slower pace. What is your response to that? Well, I mean, the economy overall is getting better, and, you know, my gosh, it ought to after five years of, of bleeding. And so I don't think that's so much due to, you know, Obama or his contribution, uh, but we are seeing some pickup in the, uh, in the economy, um, and I think that will continue. I don't think, the, you know, the, the, the growth is going to be robust, but I think that it's, you know, much better than what we uh, had. It is bringing down unemployment, and it is causing GDP to, to grow at a better pace than it has in, in the past few years, and so that's a good thing. But, the, but our stocks have been run up so much relative to that growth that really all the benefit from stocks as far as economic growth, in my opinion, just about has already been priced into stocks, and they'll probably have you know, a good 10% or more correction in the coming months. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things you've talked about a lot is uh, high-frequency trading, and yes. the Flash Boys book came out. You know, he said that uh, Michael Lewis said that the market's rigged and all that. What is your view of the pros and cons of high-frequency trading. Yeah, the, I mean, the market's not rigged. Uh, you know, the, it doesn't hurt the average person uh, out there, and that's really the, may, the, the way it was 
made to, to look as though the average person is getting gypped if they're, you know, investing in their Schwab account or E-Trade account and they're buying securities for, for their, you know, retirement or, or, or what have you. Uh, what's happened is, you know, these guys are making high-frequency trading. They are, they do have millions of dollars sunk into their systems, the, the speed of their data lines, et cetera. And they are able to transact uh, orders in milliseconds. And so that does give them part of a penny or up to a penny advantage on the, uh, on the price of the stock. But whether, you know, if you invest in a company today, um, you know, you're probably not going to invest in milliseconds and you're probably going for more than a gain of a penny anyway. I mean, you're probably going for dollars and many dollars over time. And so it's not going to really have a material effect on you as an investor. Um, the other side of the coin is what they're not talking about is the reduction of cost to investors. When I started investing uh, online, um, it was $30 in and $30 out, and that was with a discount broker and doing it myself online. And today, you know, you can do that for 5 to $7, in some cases even, even free, and the spreads between the buy and sell prices have narrowed uh, significantly as well. So there's a lot of costs that have come down that more than compensate for, you know, these high-frequency traders' penny that they've gained. And so it's really a better day for investors now than it ever has been, high-frequency traders or not. Are you concerned that there might be legislation, uh, not understanding what you just said, that to try to uh, stop high-frequency trading that would cause less liquidity and, and actually hurt the markets? Well, there could be more regulation of it. I think you're going to have to have some high-frequency trading because, see, what they've done away with is the specialist. I mean, used to, the New York Stock Exchange was packed. There was a human uh, at a, in, in the pit and that, that oversaw certain stocks, and, and that is all but gone. I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of it, but it's very sparse these days. And so those orders still have to be matched, transacted. The volume and liquidity still has to be there, and these guys are filling some of that those shoes. And so... I don't think they're going to be able to do away with high-frequency trading, but they certainly might uh, rein it in a bit if some are starting to get it, uh, excessive. Another thing you've talked about is uh, you say that the days of cheap oil are over. Um, oil prices are roughly $100 a barrel. So is your view that oil is going to be going up dramatically from here? Yeah, I think that we're going to see a, a very sizable breakout in the um, in the months ahead in both WTI and Brent crude. Um, you know, if you think about it, I mean, if you listen to the news, they talked about how oh, we're you know we we're we're got all these processes in place to where we're just a wash in oil and oil's going to go back to forty dollars a barrel and so forth. And and yet, all it's done the whole time is is climb, and we're back you know hundred plus uh, per barrel. So. The market has proved that the message that has been widely touted and sold to the public is just simply not true. But, you know, one of the reasons why it's not true is because we have to, you know, dig deeper for oil, uh, you know, drill deeper than we ever have before. Uh, many times we've got to do deep water and offshore uh, drilling. The, the low-hanging fruit's already been picked. Uh, as oil goes up, you know, it takes oil to make oil because you've got to run machinery with oil uh, to, to, you know, bring more oil out of the ground. So it brings up your costs as oil's uh, cost rises as well. So there's a number of reasons why the days of cheap oil are gone, but the message that's widely touted out there is just junk. So what would be your, some of your favorite ways to play the rise in oil prices you see coming? Well, I, I think you should own some of the you know the biggest uh, oil stocks in the uh, in the world. Something like uh, you know BP Amico, you know BP is the symbol there, or Total symbol T O T. 
um, E and I symbol E. Any of these, uh, I think, are great ways to play it. Now, some of those stocks need to pull back uh, a bit before purchase, but those are some of the best ways, I think, to play it. They're some of the biggest players in the world. They've got deep pockets, and uh, they're very diversified uh, because they're drilling for oil all over the world, so not just here in the U.S. So I think it's a great way to play it, and a lot of them have 4 to 5% dividend yields. Indeed. In about 30 seconds or so we have left, just kind of give an overall summary of what you see the best opportunities are coming forward and, and where the economy is headed. Yeah, I think, honestly, the best opportunities are, are sadly not in America. They are in China. They are in Russia. They are in Turkey and Indonesia and places like this for the next six months to year as the U.S. Uh, cools off. So that's really where I would focus. Very much. I appreciate it. So thank you. Uh, my guest has been uh, Sean Hyman. Uh, his newsletter is called The Ultimate Wealth Report. He also has one called Absolute Profits. I think you can get a, a free subscription for a while before you subscribe to it. A lot of interesting ideas are there. So thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Sean. Hey, thank you. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 